This morning we have a simple lesson. We're not using our study guide that we customarily use, but we want to think about our love of God at Christmas time. We're going to talk a little bit about what it's not, three things that it's not in its essence, and then we'll talk about what it is. Let us pray. Lord, we come to the study of your word, and we thank you that you have given us this inerrant guide for our lives. We pray that we might base our lives in what we do, not on experience, but on your word. And we ask now that you would teach us as we look into it. And we pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Well, it's the Christmas season, the most joyful time of the year for many people. But it's also the time when people give their perfunctory nod to God. And we have many people who might be in church during the Christmas season who probably wouldn't be there at another time of the year. It's a time when a lot of people, including Christians, appear to love God more, or at least pay better attention to Him and what He might be saying than at any other time of the year. There may be warm, cozy, nostalgic, sentimental feelings as we remember past memories of Christmas or even memories of childhood. Nothing wrong with that. It's also a time when some other people seem to hate God more because of the awful circumstances in their lives. If God is good and is all-powerful, why couldn't He change my situation? And that seems to be accentuated at the holiday season because we have a cultural image of what the holidays should be like. Sleigh bells ring. Are you listening? In the lane, snow is glistening. A beautiful sight. We are happy tonight. Walking in a winter wonderland. Not if Dad is drunk again, as he is most every holiday and every weekend. Not if Mom just got out of the hospital, but she's still sick and can't be up much. It won't be, oh, what fun it is to laugh and sing a slaying song tonight if Dad just got laid off from the plant and the plant has shut down. So what if we did a random survey in one of our large cities and we went around with the microphone asking people, do you really love God? We would get a variety of answers, I believe. So my question is this morning, do we really love God? Do we really love God at Christmas time and at all the other times? And if so, what is the essence of that love? Now, this is a very important question because the Bible promises a lot of good things that you don't want to miss out on to those who love God. Our verses that we read there talk about God's love, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's the Christmas message. 
And then in verse 19, we loved him because he first loved us. Now, let's back up to the Old Testament. Moses is getting ready to give God's law because people needed to know how to live. And here's what he says. Showing mercy. He's talking about the Lord. Showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. And then in 1 Corinthians 2, 9. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. You can't even imagine what's coming for those who love God. And then James 1.12, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. A crown of life. It's another representation of that eternal life, like the tree of life that we saw last Sunday back in Genesis. And another from the book of James, chapter 2 and verse 5. Listen, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those who love Him? Those who love Him will be heirs of the kingdom. Do you suppose it's easier for poor people to love God than it is for rich people? Well, Paul warns us there in the book of 1 Timothy in chapter 6, verse 9, that we don't want to let riches become a snare. And if we consider the lives that we live today in America, we would all be considered rich compared to those he's talking about in the text here. So be careful. Don't let our high standard of living and all the blessings we enjoy become a snare that would keep us from loving God. Back in the book of Psalm 145 and verse 20, the Lord preserves all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. That's pretty good. Preservation from the Lord, but it gets even better. Romans 8:28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him to those who are called according to His purpose. This is absolutely critical. Everything is going to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Now, things don't work together for good by themselves. God causes them to work for good if you are qualified, if you are called according to His purpose. And let me remind you that if you are called, that's something that God decided before the foundation of the world. I think we considered this verse on Friday evening, Ephesians 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. So the question, how can a person know for certain whether or not he actually loves God? At Christmas time, we usually think about God's love for us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There is His love for us. 
But what about our love for Him? First thing we want to consider is our love of God is not the same as a love of God's gifts as a result of Christmas and Good Friday and Easter. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. Most church people love God's gifts. They go to a gospel concert, nothing wrong with that, and they shout amen and hallelujah, and they sing the great gospel songs when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that would be. But the truth is, some people love the gifts of music and entertainment more than they love God. It's evident in the way that they would live and in their system of priorities. God is somewhere down the list. Christmas calls attention to the gifts. That might be that people seem to love God more and be more aware of Him during the Christmas season. But in reality, sometimes we tend to equate loving God with loving the gifts that He gives. Who wouldn't love forgiveness of all my sin? Getting rid of my guilt, including my guilty feelings. A home in heaven, paradise, without any problems. Who wouldn't love that? Being pronounced righteous no matter what I do. Be careful with that one. Having a source of strength greater than myself. So if I get into some kind of trouble, financial or otherwise, I just... Call him up. Do you remember Jonah fell in love with a gourd vine that God had given him? Kind of a strange gift to us, but he needed some shade. And then he got angry with God when God took it back. Even lost sinners love blessings. And many would convince themselves that those blessings are available to them All you need to do if you get into trouble that you can't manage is just pray. That's when a lot of people pray who never pray at any other time. Because they would think, you don't have to love God. He loves you. So just pray. He's there if you need Him. Frank Sinatra once said, I'm for anything that gets you through the night, be it prayer or tranquilizers or a bottle of Jack Daniels. That is the way the world thinks. God just accepts you whether you love Him or not, no matter how you live, no matter what you look like, how you dress, how you talk, what your attitude is. The world thinks you can live like the devil, and God just still welcomes you anytime you just need a little prayer answered and you call on Him. But the rest of the time, you go about your life living for self, living for the world, and give no thought to God. So... There seems to be a disconnect somewhere with that type of thinking and what the Scripture says. Anyone who claims to be in Christ must walk as Jesus did. So loving God is not the same as loving what He can do for you or what He's done for you already. That was the problem of the rich young ruler. He loved eternal life, but he didn't seem to love God very much. He loved His stuff. And the Scripture says he went away sad because he had great possessions. How many of us here today would be happy 
to count our blessings and our gifts, but have little heart for the giver. For some people, most of their dealings with God fall into the category of asking for more gifts or maybe complaining a little bit because I didn't get what I expected. Maybe that's the reason he called those people the children of Israel, because they act like children when they didn't get what they thought God should have given them. Well, here's another one. Love of God is not the same in its essence as doing good deeds, acts of mercy and kindness. That's how I should love my fellow man. And my giving at Christmas time or any other time may be enhanced or motivated by my love of God. It certainly should be. But think of it. It's not an absolute measure of your love for God because some people give to the poor and to charities at Christmas time and they give to the bell ringers and the Salvation Army and they don't give a rip about God or Jesus or the church. They're giving for some other motive to be well thought of perhaps or to feel good about themselves or for a tax deduction maybe or perhaps their company just had the United Way fund drive and they want to have the 100% participation among employees and they don't want to be left out. People give for a variety of motives but that would not be a real accurate measure of our love for God just as such. Now the essence of Loving is not our giving so much as it is our receiving. The verse that we read herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. There is Christmas right in the book of 1 John. And then the other verse, we loved Him, because he first loved us. Now, if you believe that that is true, it fits right into our doctrinal course, God's clock, that we just finished. God loved us, and we love him because he loved us. If he hadn't loved us first, we wouldn't have loved him at all. We would have been dead in trespasses and sins. We would have been that natural man that doesn't receive or understand the things of the Spirit of God. Not only that, but if the initiative to love comes from God, that means I'm not going to be falling in and out of love for Him. If I'm a true believer called according to His purpose, I'm going to love God. Because his inner call is a one-time for sure thing that results in regeneration of my heart and a new life. And we see what happens in the book of Titus in chapter 3. But when the loving kindness, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So my love flows out of that new relationship with God through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the new covenant. And obviously there is an ebb and flow of my love. It waxes and wanes depending on my application of the means of grace. 
But it's not like God is going to bring me switches and ashes in my stocking whenever I'm weak. If I have the Holy Spirit inside, the Holy Spirit is going to bring conviction when I stray from the narrow path that Christ told us to enter upon. And that conviction of the Holy Spirit is going to draw me back into the way if I'm called according to His purpose. So if you're here this morning and you're drifting toward the world and you're enjoying it, then you better check to see what's going on down inside the heart. Is God's Spirit in control of your heart? And this is not a passive thing that we're talking about. It's not some kind of experience that comes upon you or some kind of second experience. It is the work of sanctification. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is called fruit for a purpose. How do we get fruit? We go down to HEB and just load up the basket with any kind of fruit you can imagine. But that's not really how you get fruit. You have to get out and cultivate the ground. And then you've got to plant the trees. And then you've got to prune them. And then you've got to cultivate some more and fertilize. And that's kind of the way you develop the fruit of the Spirit. And it is work. It is work. It's something that we have to bear down on if we're going to love God better. As time goes along, it's the work of sanctification. And sometimes, frankly, I'd rather go to the gospel concert and shout hallelujah and amen and just have a good time rather than memorize the book of 1 John because that's work. But God calls us to hide His Word in our hearts and then meditate upon it because that's how we think His thoughts after Him. So I want us to be certain that when things go wrong, through no fault of your own, that does not necessarily mean that somehow you have failed to love God and He's angry with you. None of us love God as we should. And we can all love God more. But when things happen, well, sometimes we wonder, does God really love me? Does He really love anybody? This world is in such a mess. Those with weak faith faith would ask that question. Now, we get a lot of tests in the Christian life. How would you know if you really love God, what kind of test would prove your love for God? I think it would be the test of adversity. The test of adversity. Because my tendency when something happens is to think, now, why did God allow this to happen to me. If He really loves me and I've been reading my Bible and going to church and playing my instrument in the orchestra, I've been doing all these things, why did God allow this to happen to me? Do you blame God when it looks like He has cheated you? Well, not if you really love Him. When the devil throws a curveball and God allows it to hit you, does that shake your confidence in the love of God? Now, remember that the devil stirs the pot, but God controls whether He pours it out on someone and whether He pours it out on you. 
And he can't do anything unless God gives him permission to do that. I can think of a man who really loved God, but his wife wasn't so sure. And his name was Job. The devil said in essence to God, no wonder Job says he loves you. You can give him all the goodies. If you just take away the goodies, he'll curse you to your face. And God said, okay, we will see about that. And everything Job had was taken away. And if you read about it, it was pretty a sad story. But Job said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Then Job's situation got worse. He had all manner of physical ailments. And then his wife said to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, You're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And then he added a little later, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Here is the man who loves God. A man who's blameless and upright, who fears God and turns away from evil. And for these kind of folks, when everything appears to testify to the fact that God doesn't love them, they still love Him because they believe the testimony of His Word. And they are convinced that everything will work together for their sanctification and for His glory. So they go on loving Him, trusting Him. Now, if I'm like Job, I might give to the poor at Christmas time because God loved me and therefore I love Him. And that counts with the king. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. When I was a boy, one of the men who was in business with my dad owned rental houses. And every year in the Christmas season, he would put together these Christmas grocery bags and his grandson and I would go around and deliver those to the people who lived in those houses. And that was a good thing that I looked forward to because it gave me a good feeling down inside when I saw and heard the gratitude of those people just for the simple bag of groceries. And it almost made me feel like I was doing something for God. But I have to be careful. The essence of love is not meeting God's needs because God doesn't have any needs. The Lord who made the world and everything in it, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. So the essence of my loving God is not giving to him because he doesn't need anything. But even though God doesn't need anything, people do have needs. And I can share the love of God with others as I give to them. Now, again, we've noted the fact that many people give who care nothing for the king. But if the king is on the throne down in my heart, I will be loving others and I will be giving to meet their needs. 
That love can be counterfeit, but it can be genuine. So it's hard to use that as a test of my love for God. Well, here's number three. Love of God is not the same as keeping His commandments. Now, sometimes we seem to define it that way, but it's different. This says in John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. That means if you love me already, then act like it. If you love me, do the things I've told you to do. You remember Christ telling Peter to feed his sheep. Now, a lot of people have a set of religious rules for a variety of reasons. Perhaps fear, perhaps peer pressure, perhaps the motive of reward. God's going to do something for them. Some people make a deal with God. God, if you don't do this, then I'll stop doing this over here. God's not in the business of making those kinds of deals. Now, we do see in Second John... Verses 5 and 6. Not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment that you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. This is talking about loving one another. The essence of my love for God is not obedience to the commandments, I would say. Obedience flows out of the love. If the love of God is present in your heart, that's the root. And then obedience is the fruit that grows out of the root. And if you have a lot of love for God, guess what? You will have a fruitful life for Him, sharing that love, helping those in need, doing those things that Christ did, when he was here on the earth. Modern-day Pharisees have a well-defined list of devout do's and don'ts, the performance of which they equated with love for God. Do you know what Jesus called them? Whitewashed sepulchers. Because they didn't really have love for God. He said they were serving their father, the devil. Obedience from a right attitude can't grow without love for God in the heart. It turns to some other kind of motive. Love has to flow out of a heart of love for God, if it's genuine agape love. And please don't accuse somebody of being a Pharisee because they have certain things that they do and certain things that they don't do because they figure they want to be pleasing to God. 2 Corinthians 5.14 For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. What about that? Does Christ's love compel you to share the gospel, to do whatever it happens to be for another person who has a need I may render to God obedience and service and praise and thanksgiving, but that has to flow out of a heart of love, not just my emotional response to the music. There's nothing wrong with my emotional response to the music, but it's not the intensity of my emotional sentimentality that determines my love for God. 
I want to be sure that I have the real thing down in my heart. What is the real thing? People do have needs, and I can meet those needs if Christ's love compels me. Now, I hope we're seeing that love is not so much the doing as it is in its inception, the being. I am being the person that I need to be. A lot of times, young people get the doing and the being mixed up. And it goes something like this. If I can only find God's will, I'll tell you, if you're giving a talk to some group, if you give a talk on finding God's will, the place will be filled because everybody wants to find God's will. And I understand what that means. But if I can only find God's will for my life, I will do it. Then I will be happy. I'd say it's just the reverse of the find and do and be. Here's what I would say down in the being category. If you will be on a daily basis what God wants you to be, and we know all about that from what's in the book, uh, 98% of God's will is it's God's will that you should be holy, that you should avoid immorality, that you should have the fruit of the Spirit in your life, that you should have 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love, that you should have the Beatitudes. Hey, that's God's will. That's pretty evident. And if I will be what God wants me to be, then I will do what I ought to be doing. Then I will find God's will and I will be holy. Because you never really be happy unless you are holy. So sometimes we come through the reverse and it's very difficult because the emphasis is on the doing instead of the being. Deep in your being is where the love of God resides if you are converted to Christ. I dare say if you fall in love with someone, you're going to be giving some thought to that person, their mannerisms, their characteristics, the qualities of their life that drew you toward them in the first place. During Yvonne's senior year at LSU, I was in my hometown in Mississippi working with my dad in the auto parts business. And one day I was mixing paint. And I didn't have to concentrate much on mixing paint because I'd been mixing paint since I was a boy. Instead, I was concentrating on the girl and the next time that I would see her. In fact, I would say I was meditating on that subject. And I was just thinking, oh, it's going to be wonderful. It's only couple of more days now. And so I finished mixing a gallon of paint and I put the lid on and I put it in the shaker, but I forgot to pound the lid down. And everything went pretty well for a few moments and then the lid came off while it was in the shaker. Paint went everywhere and it was bad. It was embarrassing. I was a young college graduate, and yet that didn't stop me from meditating on the girl because I loved her. And so if you find me doing something that's rather absent-minded uh, in the way that I do it, you'll know what I'm thinking about. <laughs> now, if you love someone, you're going to be thinking about that person. Do you ever meditate 
on God? Well, somebody would say, I I, I wouldn't meditate on him if I knew what he looked like. Hey, young people, listen, there's something very much more important than knowing what God looks like. You can know what he is like in the Scripture. You can look at the life of Jesus Christ and you can see the love and compassion and kindness and goodness and mercy and everything flowing out of his life. And as you read the pages of Scripture, you find that your heart is drawn to him. Not what he looks like. That doesn't matter. And you young ladies, if you plan to marry some guy, you better find out what he is like not just what he looks like. He may have muscles on his arms, but you want to find out he's got muscle in his head instead of brains. And that's going to mean getting to know someone. So the question is, are we getting to know God because we are in love with Him? Well, we've said what the love of God is not. It's not the same as the love of God's gifts. It's not the same as just doing good deeds, although it flows out of the love of God. It's not the same as keeping His commandments, although obedience will flow out of the root of love as well. So what is the love of God as we conclude? And we ask the question, do we really love Him? Do you ever delight in God by just thinking about Him? It's hard to find time to think about something for any length of time in our culture because Bam, bam, bam. Things are hitting us from all sides and media and everything in the world. But do you ever just sit down in a quiet place and think about God and think about what He has done for us that I deserved hell, but now I've got heaven and an heir of the kingdom and all of those things that we will enjoy with Him and even that we enjoy with Him now. How about that? See, a lot of people are wondering, well, when's God coming back? I think it may be next week, and the Mayans say this. And Well, I'm not too worried about that because heaven is God, and heaven is Christ. And you can experience that right now and this afternoon. Do you treasure the times that you can invest in God's Word? Or do you have your checklist and you've got to check off the daily Bible reading? Now, that's better than nothing, I would say. Do you relish sharing in a conversation with someone about what God is speaking to you through the Word? Or is He speaking anything? Now, if the Spirit is here and the mind of Christ is here and you're into the Word, He is going to be speaking to you. And sometimes it may seem kind of like dry granola, but you just keep going because it's nourishing. And sooner or later, you're going to get a message from God. Do you want to tell people about that as you have opportunity? Do you cherish an uninterrupted opportunity to talk with God? We call that prayer. He speaks to us through the Scripture. We speak to Him just the way we speak to anybody else. We don't even have to say it out loud. But sometimes we might need to cry out to Him out loud. Are you filled with longing to know God much better than you do right now. Is that a real longing that you have, to know Him better? I find as I get older that uh, I'm really motivated to get to know God pretty good. 
so that when I get there, I don't have any surprises of things that I haven't thought about down here. It's in the Word. Do you find genuine satisfaction in spending a quiet afternoon along with God? We shouldn't say spending. We should say investing a quiet afternoon along with God. Now, I'm not talking to the mothers because the mothers might have to use the Susanna Wesley method where you just sit down in the chair and pop the apron over your head and all the children are running around and that's your quiet time right there. But I'm talking about dads who are the spiritual leaders of the family, the church, the community, hopefully of the nation. Quiet afternoon or maybe in the morning, maybe some other time. Do you appreciate an opportunity to get to know God in a more intimate way, even if it involves the fellowship of His suffering. Paul said, I want to know Christ, the power of His resurrection. But watch out for that next part, the fellowship of His suffering. That's As, as I read uh, Elizabeth Elliot and other uh, Christians who've seen some rough times, that's how you get to know God. Through his suffering, you're drawn into that relationship with Christ. He suffered. We will suffer. He knows how to comfort those who suffer. Do you highly value, and we could say, and prioritize seeking first his kingdom? Or do you just have to grit your teeth and try to make it to the next Christian activity or event or whatever it is? Seeking first His kingdom. We might need to get with Him in a quiet place and ask Him. Now, in this new year, what does seeking first your kingdom mean? Because in the old year, I didn't seem to make a lot of progress and I want to get it together. So what does that look like? Seeking first the kingdom of God and prioritizing those things that that would involve. Are you truly thankful for what God is doing in your life, even through adversity? And the question says, do you ever meditate on God? Many people never meditate on God any more than they think of the man in the moon. Now, the thought of God runs across their mind, usually when they have some need and they want to ask Him for something. But they do meditate on other things. They meditate on sporting events. They meditate on business deals. They meditate on social activities. They meditate on movies or whatever is in their hearts. Sometimes they even meditate on those things in church, could you imagine? Isn't that amazing the way God has made our minds? We got some scripture up here on the screen, but on the screen of your mind, you can be out there water skiing on a beautiful day out at the lake. Well, whatever is in your heart is what's going to register on the screen of your mind. And that's what you think about. Some people don't love God any more than they love the NFL and can't wait to get back to it. Now, that may be okay. The NFL, I mean. Some things about it probably wouldn't be okay. But it might be okay, but if it has captured my heart, as it is the religion of many. And there are many other religions that call for our attention. So what about you this afternoon? Can you answer yes to those 
questions that we had on the screen. If so, I would say you're a true Christian. If you need to, if you see that you're deficient, I would say you need to examine your heart. See what really has first place there. Are you really a believer in God, a true believer? Because if you are, you're going to have a love for God that reflects itself in some of those questions that we ask. Now, if you see that there needs to be a change as you examine your heart, then I have a verse for you. From the Old Testament, God is predicting what's going to come with the new covenant. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. If you see a need to have more love for God in your heart, ask Him to change your heart. That's what He's talking about here. He's going to take out the heart of flesh if you've never come to Christ in repentance and saving faith and put in a living heart that would respond to spiritual things. And you will have a new awareness of God and what He does in your life. And you will have a new ability to focus on Him. And we've said many times, the main thing is you'll have a new attitude. You will want the Lord. You will want to love Him. You will want Him to be in first place in your life. When Vaughn and I used to go to Excel, we always sang a song there written by George Crowley. Spirit of God, descend upon my heart. Wean it from earth through all its pulses move. Stoop to my weakness, mighty as thou art, and make me love thee as I ought to love. I want us to take a few moments in silent meditation and think about that last line of that first stanza. And make me to love thee as I ought to love. Let's just pray to him. Oh, Lord, we want to love you more. We want to know you better. We want to enjoy you more. And we recognize that those things are going to be the result of what is in our heart. So, Lord, if our heart has been turned toward the world, if we have only seen you as the amazing supernatural Santa Claus who brings the gifts, then we ask your forgiveness. We pray that we might see you 
stripped and beaten, hanging on a cross because of our sin. And we ask, Lord, that when we survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, that it might change our perspective on life and on the world. Lord, if there's someone here today who needs a new heart, I pray that this might be the time for that. I pray that your Spirit would be doing the washing of regeneration and the renewal that you promise so that a person might recognize his condition and his need for a Savior. And then, Lord, for those of us who love you, we pray that that love might be evident in our lives during this time of year. And we pray in the business of the season that we might find time to meditate, that we might look into Scripture because it tells us what you are like and it gives us the things that we need to praise you for. So we offer to you our hearts and our lives, our homes, families, our church, and we ask that you would mold us and make us into the people that you want us to be. We pray, Lord, in this new year that you would fan the embers into flames in our midst and that we might see a mighty outpouring of your Spirit here, that we might see people coming to Christ, that we might see marriages strengthened and homes and families drawn close together. We pray, Lord, that uh, your Spirit would be working around the world in Cambodia, in Guatemala, in all the places in Korea, and the places that are on our hearts, various ones that we pray about. So, Lord, we're looking for the great day that's coming, but in the meantime, I pray that we might make it a great day as we serve you and as we honor you. And we ask these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.